You've hit play on the Screen Companion, a show about making your viewing time count. So here we are, foreign coming-of-age movies, the topic everybody asked for, like all 10 of my listeners in Europe and Asia. We have reached the other side of the Atlantic. There are people in Germany listening, France, the UK, India, Russia. I did not know that. Yeah, you guys have something to say to Putin. Say it right now. Is he an avid listener? (laughs) I'm going to assume the couple hits I've gotten in Russia, one of them has to be him, because he controls (laughs) all media, right? Oh, you think he's pouring over the data before he lets anyone else listen to it? Exactly. Well, hello, sir. Stop bombing people. (laughs) We don't want to be thrown out of any windows. Let's just move on. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's also why I haven't had any hits yet in China or North Korea. Oh, my. I'm too much of a revolutionary. They can't have their people listening to me. (laughs) Kim Jong-un is a Speed Racer fan. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That's especially why he doesn't want to listen to us, because we just tore that apart, didn't we, John? (laughs) Well, yes. Yes, we did. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking today, two movies, El Sur from 1983, a Spanish movie, as well as My Life as a Dog from 1985, a Swedish film. Let's discuss a little about coming-of-age movies to begin with. John, what do you think is appealing about the subject matter? Everyone can remember coming-of-age. They remember being that age and coming up. I think a lot of us wished it was more like a movie. Not necessarily these two movies, but I think a lot of people (laughs) wished it was like uh, a movie where cool stuff happened and they met cool adults. But, you know, you just got a cranky old grandpa who's angry at minorities for no reason. (laughs) How about you, Andrew? What do you think? Well, for me, I guess I just like the coming of age. Um, Not a genre, I guess, but the movies just um, because sometimes it is nice to see something where it's that universal or almost universal experience where like everyone can watch a movie and at least take something maybe different from it. We can all look back as adults and be like, oh yeah, I remember that. Or, oh, that's what that really was that one summer. I had something like that. Yeah, I mean, like John said, I mean, these movies are different. (laughs) It's far from the sandlot, but they're good. Max, what do you think are some of the pitfalls in these type of movies? I guess maybe some of the scenarios where it's like, yeah, I can see this happening to some people, but a lot of us probably just had more boring, normal, I mean, normal in loosest terms, childhoods just kind of growing up is like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. This isn't a thing that a lot of people in my neighborhood went through. But maybe I could just be a small minority and a bunch of us were more quiet about it and don't want to relive it. Emphasis on the minority. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think some of the common pitfalls, you might have bad child actors, which I realized watching these two movies, because they're foreign, it takes some of that away. I can't tell if the kids in these movies are bad actors or not, because they're speaking another language. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I definitely thought Ingemar, when he looked at people, people would talk to him, he'd look at them. There was a hate in his eyes. (laughs) Any favorites come to mind? Andrew mentioned Sandlot earlier. And we definitely watched that a little while ago. That's always a classic. I don't think I've ever met anyone who didn't like it. I know I've seen my fair share, but it's not typically subject matter that I get into that much. 
Because then you end up in a loop reminiscing and going back. Never look back. Always go forward. <laughs> Solid advice. <laughs> That's why people listen, man. <laughs> Andrew, could you summarize El Sur for us? So El Sur follows this young girl that we see grow up into a young woman named Estrella. Her father's a mystery to her. She doesn't know much about his past. Like, we know he's a doctor, but I don't think we ever found out what his research is for, but he probably didn't research a damn thing. <laughs> and she's just trying to figure out her dad and kind of like what's up with him. At the beginning of the movie, he's missing, and she knows he's not coming back, and then it's the flashback. The whole movie is leading up to that moment, and then it ends on that note. It's depressing. It's not a fun coming-of-age movie, but it is the learning more about your parents type experience. That brings up an interesting question, Andrew. Do you think either of these movies, kids would like watching them? So here's the thing. I think coming-of-age flicks, especially over here in the U.S., I think they are kids' movies like The Sandlot, or there's like an anime flick called Whisper of the Heart that I really like that's a coming-of-age movie. Kids will like them because they can be funny, they can be magical or whatever. But I think adults, I think like a lot of times they're geared more for adults just to get that whimsy back and have that nostalgia. I think with these particular coming-of-age movies, they are for adults. They're not for kids. I can't imagine a kid liking these movies. Max, what were your initial feelings right after you watched El Sur? Felt a little weird because... I'm usually used to films from around that era fading to black, but more gradually. This one was literally more of a, all right, I'm going to go to the south. I'm going to go with my other relatives. And just like that, it's over. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's called the south, but we never get to go to the south. Yeah, it, I was there for a while watching this, and that was the buildup just to this. Felt a little empty, a little hollow. I needed a minute, yeah. I definitely, like, went into the kitchen and probably just watched a pot of water boil for a minute. and <laughs> <laughs> It felt empty almost, a little depressing, and you're right, it totally ended quick, a lot quick. Are there any particular Spanish cultural details that stand out to you guys? You could tell the movie is supposed to be back in the day and everything. I think the experiences that they show are pretty universal. I think my life as a dog is more culturally Swedish than I would say this is Spanish. The bigger thing I noticed is more about the time difference than cultural difference. Seeing the way people had to go around and it's like, hello, hello, is this, this so-and-so's house? Oh, it is? Okay, we're at the right place. Oh, yeah, you didn't have Google Maps or a real map back in the day. You just kind of had to go somewhere and hope you'd get there. Hope and pray. There's a lot of parallels between these two movies, and isn't it weird? They were both filmed in the 80s, but they're about the 50s. People find whatever happened 30 years ago to be more relatable. At this point, I think most of us are like harking for like an 80s film. Oh, that's such a cool era. They probably felt the same way back in the 80s. Maybe that's why Stranger Things is so popular. I think for El Sur, putting it in the 50s allows it to be just after World War II. It's just after the Spanish Civil War. So all the adults in that movie basically are going to have PTSD to some degree. It helps amp up the depression. Yeah, it amps up the, uh, the depression Andrew mentioned earlier. <laughs> Remember Ryan from Franco? Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. 
And he killed that poor little girl for Pan's Labyrinth. (laughs) (laughs) I think the whole stuff around the First Communion, there are a couple of scenes of that, and that feels pretty Spanish. Not exclusively Spanish, but definitely outside of my wheelhouse. That was kind of interesting to watch that play out. That scene was actually very relatable to me in the sense of like, what's a First Communion? I don't know. Did the adults know? No, not really. We just hang out. We just go and do this thing. Eat the wafer, mumble the words. <laughs> yeah, could I get more sugar on this wafer, please? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty stale. I don't think the priest washed his hand before. I don't think any of us grew up religious backgrounds. Not overly religious, but I did practice when I was in elementary school. Yeah, about the same here. Yeah, that's about little kid. Did you guys go to Sunday school ever? Yeah. Yes. Oh. It happened on Saturday because the church was for Sunday. Yes, there was production trouble, and this film does end abruptly, and even the director considers it an unfinished film. Andrew, barring that, does it really come off as unfinished to you, or is it pretty much whole? I think it tells a pretty whole story. Like It is an abrupt ending, but I feel like there are other movies like that. I think No Country for Old Men, that just ends very abruptly. You know, you see the ending, you know what happens, and kind of like okay she's going away now it just kind of wraps itself up and now knowing that there was supposed to be more movie it does make sense this is what i got from a 2003 interview that the director victor Risi did he said it will always be an unfinished film and he mentioned that it was an 81 day shoot that was halted after only 48 days He edited what he had based on an agreement with the producer that they'd ultimately complete the original film he had in mind, but then it went to Cannes, got great reviews, then it got released in Madrid and got plenty of acclaim, and then the producer said whether it was complete or not had become a purely academic issue at that point, and they weren't going to finish it. (laughs) And to hear the director do the interview and see him, It's like he's talking about a family member that died. He does not look like a happy man whenever he talks about this movie. Could you imagine if they stopped Ridley Scott from doing like the last 20 minutes of Blade Runner and we never got the Tears and Rain speech? Maybe there's a Tears and Rain speech that Arisi had in mind and we just, we never got to see it. It'd be so much more beautiful in Spanish. Max, how would you interpret the meaning of the film? What's it trying to say? Personally, I took it as more of a just be happy with what you have. Just try and enjoy your parents while they're around and try to learn about them as much as you can. The daughter was doing her best to learn a lot about her father because, yeah, he was a big old mystery and a question mark. She also started digging into, like, her father's past. Like, oh, what happened between him and grandpa? And that's when I started getting a bit more invested. Like, yeah, what did happen there? Tell me more about this grandpa. And are we going to learn more about him when she goes to the south? Oh, wait, the movie ended. (laughs) <laughs> 10 or 20 minutes adding to the end of the movie to just show a little bit of that I probably would have been a bit more satisfied remember they still had 30 days they had plenty of days left on the schedule that they never did so there's probably like a whole hour missing from this movie we don't need an hour just 10 minutes please it was already long enough what the director wanted was to actually go down south with the main character And she would connect with this boy who turns out to be her half-brother. 
and the affair that's alluded to in the movie that her father had with a woman down south, she learns more about the people and his backstory and comes to an understanding about him, you know, after the bad things happen toward the end of the movie. Spicy. John, how would you interpret the meaning of the film? I got a uh, more of a hero worship, don't meet your heroes type of thing, because she, she loved her dad. He was the most amazing person to her. And then she keeps finding out that he's not that great at this, he's not that great at that. She's like, who's this actor you're talking about? And then he's just weird over lunch one day, and then the movie ends. I kind of agree with John on that one. I think that at every point in your life, as a kid, you learn there's like a moment or like a buildup, a collection of moments where you kind of realize that, oh, okay, my parents aren't the superhero. Like, it's cliche, but like we all learn that they're not the perfect people that we maybe thought they were when we were like really, really little. She learned that over the long course of a few years. And then, yeah, it was just a very awkward lunch because she was just kind of like, all right, dad, if you're not going to tell me, I'm out. You know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> <laughs> bye. A variation on what you guys have said. Part of it is just relating it to myself. I think it's about, obviously, wanting to know who your parents were before you came along, but then the ultimate futility of it, because she pushes her dad a lot, and I don't think she acknowledges too much maybe a partial role she played in certain things that happened toward the end. I wonder what would have happened to the father character if she had let up on it a bit or didn't mention the affair that he had had all those years ago, because he's definitely a depressed dude who has issues. I still ask my dad about his youth, but I'll never get deep enough answers from him to satisfy me. Time puts up a wall to the past, and my curiosity's never going to be able to scale that. And she, she doesn't learn that. She just keeps pushing, man. And then what happens, happens. You know, she's just a freaking bulldog. Just wouldn't give it up. <laughs> Anything about the portrayal of the main character's childhood, Estrella? Anything about her childhood that rings false? I wasn't a girl in the 1950s. In Spain, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard. Everything seemed on the up and up, I guess. I think the cliche kind of little girl character who just adored her father. And, you know, Even in the movie, she mentions that she doesn't have too many core memories of her mom. So you can tell that she worshipped her dad a little bit more. So I think that just goes to like that cliche of girls go with their dads and boys go with their moms, you know? The only thing that stood out to me was, where are her friends? Yeah, we hear that one boy, I forgot what they called him, El Cocoro or something like that. We hear about him, we hear him over the phone, and I think we see some of his tagging on a wall. I don't remember if we even see him do the tagging. We don't see any of her gal pals anywhere. And that seems kind of odd for a girl who's growing up to not really be around any of her friends at any point in time. Well, because if they did that, they might bring a little levity to the movie, and they just want to depress the hell out of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta bring it down. Happy children not allowed here. I grew up as a shut-in, and I didn't hang around my parents that much. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you, getting all high and mighty. <laughs> I had friends. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> John, did you have any favorite scenes or performances? I did like when he's teaching her how to use the uh, the pendulum to find, I think it was water in the ground. That only totally reminded me of a scene when I was a kid, and my dad had these two sticks that 
if they pointed in a certain direction, there was going to be water there. I loved him teaching me that. I think it's BS. I have no proof that it's not wrong, but it's probably obviously BS. But it it felt like one of those fun little parent-child moments of just like, I'm going to teach you this stupid trick, and you're not going to know it's stupid. Yeah, I like that one. And then the first scene where she's learning to use the pendulum, just kind of walking around. He's just like, oh, don't squeeze it so hard. Okay, that's good. Don't squeeze it. You know, it's teaching her how to use it herself. Show her what he can do type of thing, you know, passing down the knowledge. I think the biggest winner in this movie is the cinematography. The Caravaggio lighting and the intense shadows throughout this movie, which really fit its depressing themes. It makes the movie look like a painting. I wish there was a little bit more dialogue in this thing, but the imagery makes up for that to some extent. There wasn't a lot of sunny days in this. (laughs) It was definitely bleak. It's sunnier in the South. We'll never know. It could have been. (laughs) Andrew, what are your criticisms for this flick? You know, it's going to sound... Considering the movie's honestly pretty short, it felt slow. And I kind of had this this feeling with my life as a dog where there's just a lot of collection of really short scenes that just kind of you go from one to another and one to another one to another it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of blend sometimes like it's a collage in movie form can you give me an example of a scene like that like she would be in the house one moment and then it's like oh yeah i was in the city and i saw a movie poster and then it's just it goes back to the house things didn't seem so blended like a lot of the cuts i felt were abrupt with the intro of the movie, with the whole, like, you know, the sunrise lighting of it, I thought, oh, that's really cool. You know, I liked all- And then it's just, nothing was gradual like that afterwards, I feel like. Even the scene where he's finding the water, like, I couldn't tell you what was right before, and I couldn't tell you what was right after. Maybe that's why they used a lot of fade-ins and fade-outs to try to help with the transition between scenes. I don't know, like, I've, I've noticed this, I think, with, like, foreign films in general sometimes. Like, they can feel a little abrupt in the editing, to me at least. My silly American sensibilities. How about you, Max? I'm trying to think. Uh... You can just say you loved it, that's fine. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say anything that controversial. <laughs> uh... For me, one of the biggest things was definitely the length. At one point, I was like, is there a way for me to speed this up? Because there's not much happening to add to the story. I mean, yeah, going off of what Andrew kind of said earlier, there was a lot of like things that were added in. A part of me was expecting for some of that to either build up to something near the end of the film, but it just never paid off. Talking about her father's relationship with her grandpa, I was like, okay, this will somehow come again later on in the film, right? Nope. No, no. But the other scene of him going out to the backfield and shooting off his gun before the first communion. Okay, this is going to lead somewhere. And in a way it did. So I was just hoping for more of that. Like, oh, they're building up to something else later on. That's why they're adding this little detail now. There was just not a lot of that that paid off later on. Yeah, it definitely felt like a lot longer than it actually was. Yeah, we talked about the production issues. It definitely was a first act that was meant to lead into more, and it didn't. Well, let us go on to Rat. Random ass nine thoughts and trivia. This is where whatever weird ideas popped into our heads during watching the movie, this is when you can come out with it and just say random ass stuff. Andrew, do you have anything random you want to share? 
No, not really. I, I didn't have a lot of those random thoughts during this one. Yeah, like it was just so bleak. only the thoughts i did have was these people seem pretty comfortable and this guy is just his biggest issue is oh i couldn't simp enough for this one chick that's way far away oh my heart is really hurting and that leads to what i thought was kind of a well for me at least a bit of a funny scene in a dark way where the little girl's hiding under the bed and protests and she's not responding to anyone and then he's on the floor above Tapping his cane, kind of being like, I know you're there. I don't care. (laughs) I'm not even going to bother. It's like, damn, dude. He knows what's up. Yeah, he's really good at that passive child abuse. (laughs) (laughs) Psychological scarring lasts so much longer. I'm taking notes. This is going to help me later on. Uh, John, you got any rats? First of all, the movie, it came out in 83, and I was born in 83, so I think someone called it old earlier, and that kind of hurt my feelings. <laughs> I was just looking at the dad, the actor who plays the dad, apparently he's Italian, that's weird, and then thinking about that scene where he's writing the letter to the actress from the movie, and how most of the letter was just a critique of the film, like, because they didn't explore more of that, I think he was just, because he knew the one actress, he's just like... I'm going to be a critic. This is my moment to be a critic. And I know one of the actors in the movie and be like, you were great. The guy who shot you was great. Um, obviously, you didn't die in real life, but the two main actors are terrible. Yeah, there's a quirkiness about that letter. It feels like it belongs in a Woody Allen movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my bit of rat for you. So we see Estrella at two points in her life as a eight or nine year old girl, and then also as more of a teenager. And the teenage version, she gets uh, screwed over in this movie because it is unfinished. She appears in the first scene, and then it's another hour before she appears again in this 90 minute movie. So if they had shot the rest of the movie, you know, she would have been there a lot longer than she was. And that's too bad. I hope she got paid for the whole movie, though. I don't know. The producer sounded pretty miserly, like he didn't want to spend any more money on it. That's probably like one of the reasons he cut production was just like, I don't have to pay this kid. Let's go from 1983 to 1985 with My Life as a Dog. John, summarize it for us. My Life as a Dog is about uh, young Ingemar, whose mother is dying. Well, she's sick. And he gets sent away to live with his aunt and uncle in, was it Small Town? I believe is what they called it. And he meets eccentrics through the town and comes of age, if you will, if we were to go with the subject of the podcast today. Max, what were your initial feelings? I was honestly a little weirded out because it's a Scandinavian film. It's like, all right, this can either go in a really weird, twisty way or can go into a really dark way. <laughs> <laughs> This was one of those movies where it candy coats how much of a bummer it is with the eccentric villagers and wacky scenarios. Because really, the main character, he's put through the ringer in this movie. There are plenty of kids that have rough childhoods, and it feels weird to see the underlying sadness punctuated with some eccentric, funny characters. But that's what happens in, I think, a lot of real-life situations. Something's bumming you out, and then all of a sudden something funny happens. I guess I wish we knew what his mom was sick with. I mean, I could take a guess, but it just... The way the movie makes it sound is this. She had, like, my kids are awful-itis, and it killed her. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's just a bummer. Well, she was a single mom with two boys to raise. That could be it. Technically, she wasn't single. Didn't she have a husband, but just not there? He, like, did banana farming or loading. Yeah, he was on the equator. Yeah, he's a sailor. Are there any particular Swedish cultural details that stood out to you guys? I've seen this in a few Swedish movies. People, like the older men, just love reminiscing about hot ladies with small children. And that was... (laughs) That's always odd. There was that scene where he's sitting with his uncle and he's going through the book and the uncle's pointing to each picture of the uh, lady and he's just like, her boobs were warm, her boobs were soft. (laughs) It was a manly time back in the 50s. It was. All over the world. (laughs) He's like, hey, nine-year-old child, do you want to have coffee with me on this house I've built in someone else's property and I could show you pictures of ladies' boobs if I've touched? Boobs everywhere. Just a lot of boob and a lot of boob talk. Mm Mm-hmm. European sentiment of don't be so uptight about boobs, I guess. If I ever meet the director, Lasse Hallstrom, I'm going to have to tell him he failed in that regard. I felt a little uptight at certain moments in the movie. I'm sure you guys can relate. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was, there was one boob scene that did not need to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, as a coming of age story, I think kids would like this more just because boobs. Oh, this is exactly what I want as a kid. <laughs> I don't know if it's what I wanted when I was 8 or 9. Mission accomplished. I thought this was more geared toward like 10, 12-year-olds. Maybe the more sophisticated European 10 to 12-year-olds. Probably not American kids, though. (laughs) Definitely not American children. (laughs) So the director's first American outing was What's Eating Gilbert Grape, less than a decade after this movie. Andrew, what parallels do you see between these two movies? Well... Granted, I haven't watched What's Eating Gilbert Grape in probably over 10 years, but the mother being not in good health is a definite parallel, and then the eventual passing of the mother. Both movies have dead moms. Um, that's as much as I remember, because I don't remember too much about any like love interest in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I'm pretty sure there was one, I just can't remember. Oh yeah, Juliet Lewis. Oh, see, there you go. I think the director finds he thinks children are more interesting than they actually are. In both those movies, he's making the child far more interested than a child their age actually would be. There's more confidence and intrigue to these children in the movie. And that's, I guess, indicative of a lot of movies about children is there's personality traits that aren't really there on real children. Give me some examples for Ingmar. Uh, When he first moves away, he's barely met any of those people, and he's just... Speaking his mind to every adult he can find. There's a weird dichotomy. Sometimes he's precocious, and then other times he comes off as really immature, especially when he's barking at people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which he learned from an adult. (laughs) And I wanted to ask about that a little bit, guys. You know, I'm a fan of this movie. I've seen it at least three or four times. And the barking, especially in the last act... Andrew, what do you think it means? Why is he barking? Oh, it's 100% a trauma response, dude. (laughs) 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 Yeah, dude, this kid's going through something. Like, it's just, when he starts doing it at the end of the movie, he's just, I think he's just trying to be a dog and, like, bark and scare people away and isolate himself, because at that point in the film, like, no one has really been doing him any solids for, like, 20 minutes of film time. Because, like, he's sent back to his uncle's place, 
And then he gets there, he seems happy, and then the uncle's like, all right, well, you got to move out and sleep with this old lady. (laughs) He's bummed out about that. And then he meets up with this one friend of his who is like a girl trying not to be a girl. And then she's like, hey, show me your wiener. He's like, no. And she's like, well, I bet it's small. (laughs) And she tackles him in a barn trying to look at it. She tackles him. Then he goes to a party because this other girl likes him and this girl like comes over and ruins it. So she, like she's bullying him because she's feeling rejected. You know, then she's like, oh, your dog's been dead the whole time. And then she beats him up and sends him flying off of the second story of a barn. <laughs> and he just gets up and runs away. <laughs> He's not even injured, <laughs> which good for him. What was the brilliant line he said? Always keep the tension, you bastards, as he runs away. <laughs> That's so funny. That brings up something fun. I started to make a list that I called Ingmar's Indignities. (laughs) (laughs) Max, I want you to mention a few more. What other terrible things happened to this kid in the movie? Oh, God. I I felt pretty embarrassed just watching him. (laughs) I guess the very first one is like, oh, his brother points a BB gun at his head and he pisses himself out of fear. The brother has no sympathy at all. Like, why'd you piss yourself? All I was doing was pushing a barrel into your face. <laughs> Pointing a gun at your skull. <laughs> I don't know how this guy was pulling tail despite all his weird issues. You know what? I guess I guess he is more relatable than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that scene in the beginning when was that his brother that forced the bottle onto his poor wiener and it got stuck? Yeah, trying to show the other kids talk about sex and vaginas and penises. <laughs> I don't know if we should go to the medical term, but he shoved the shoved the bottle on there and it got stuck, and it became a whole thing. And they tried to break it off. Oh, wasn't that a just? It was visceral for me to see that woman knock the bottle with his dick in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the opening scene in the movie. At that point, I'm just going to piss in that bottle from now on. Don't try to take it off. Yeah. Because if you break it, I'm probably going to get caught up down there. <laughs> yeah, something's going to go wrong. and That's a big blood factory. The poor kid. He started that fire accidentally. Well, he started a fire intentionally. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it just got out of control. The whole beginning scene felt like him and everyone else being shitheads. <laughs> That was such a beautiful wide shot where he's trying to fight the little fire and then it snaps to this gigantic blaze behind him. (laughs) (laughs) Another indignity is when he can't take his beloved dog, Seacon, with him. That just pulled at my heartstrings. And I think that plays in a little bit to why he's barking toward the end. I feel like it's kind of a remembrance. He wishes his dog was there. But the dog isn't, so he has to kind of take the place of the dog and bark for it. I remember he also mentioned early on, I was like, oh man, dogs are great. This dog's the best. I can't wait to like hang out with this dog all the time. He even said he thought he loved the dog as much as he loved his mother. He did say that while they were hiding under the bed and the mom was dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. And then when his little asides was like, hey, remember that dog they sent into space? It died. They didn't need to do that. Every one of those asides was depressing. He'd always bring something up about, like, ah, I'll have to think about this guy who ran onto a track field and got javelin to death. His little asides came up every single time he was out of that village and he was near his hometown. Or was that just me that noticed that? Oh. I didn't notice. 
Maybe that was a symptom of him not feeling good about going back home. It's like he just went dark the moment he went back. But at the village, oh, colorful people. Oh, what kind of adventure are we going to have today? Going to Sputnik and then getting stuck and getting lost in space? Wow. Kid with green hair. <laughs> Crazy green hair. Hey, that kid with the green hair. So they show him and other kids washing in what looks like a vat. What do you think was making his hair green? John, are they making little jokers in that vat? Given how pale the kid was and the green hair, yeah. That could have been the uh, Ace Chemical vat. He's a little Jack Napier falling in. Andrew, what do you interpret to be the meaning of this movie? Other than kids are awful, (laughs) just doesn't seem like there is a meaning to it other than maybe just no matter how bad things can get, you can come out the other side of it. Maybe not stronger, but at least okay. The ending of the movie, like Ingmar is getting dumped on, And then it ends on this really sweet note where there's like a naked guy in a stream. That's not sweet. But then they finally get that. But it is Swede. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't help it. Come on. (laughs) Are you going to edit in a laugh track to that? No, I don't need to. It's hilarious. People will laugh for me. (laughs) Okay, yeah, sure. But then it just, it went back to that childhood, like, they finally got that spaceship thing working, and then it threw them into the mud. But for a hot second, I thought, one of those kids is dead. The way this movie's going. (laughs) (laughs) Ingmar's a quadriplegic now. Aw, (laughs) jeez. How about you, John? Do you interpret the movie at all differently? There's some escapism to it. I thought when I read the synopsis there was going to be more fantastical element to it of like bigger stuff, but I think it's what Ingmar needed. I'm glad it came back to happiness. Sticking with you, John, favorite scenes, performances? I did like the scene when the naked guy in the river, just him trying to enjoy himself. I felt that. He was just trying to enjoy himself and be by himself. And the whole town's like, we gotta help you! We're helping! And he's just like, no, you're annoying assholes. Leave me alone. That was a part that exemplified the small town atmosphere that they were living in. Because everybody's just out all the time in everybody's business. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone works at that glass factory. No, that that glass factory owns everything. Andrew, favorite scenes, performances? There's a lot of the little things, specifically with, I think her name, was it Barrett, the blonde lady? Yep. When Ingmar walked up behind her and just slapped her on the ass, (laughs) started talking to her like it was nothing, and she's all into it, I was like, oh, okay, Ingmar, (laughs) like, things are looking up. And then she immediately invites him to the nude modeling gig, right? Yeah. As funny as it was, um, I really, I wish he didn't do it. But when he climbed on the roof and broke through the top glass trying to get a peek at her naked, I'm like, dude, Ingmar, you idiot. It's going to break. You're going to fall through. Like, oh, Ingmar. (laughs) All the quick editing in that, it felt like a horror scene. Yeah, it was was funny. Oh, God. This movie had so much cringe for me. I was like, oh, kid. Dude, come on, please. I kept feeling that throughout most of the time, but... um. For me, it was probably more of the boxing scenes, just kind of them hanging out, trying to chill. It's like, yeah, this is just something we do every now and then. We just pummel each other. 
here, come on, give it a shot. I really loved Mr. Arvidsson, the bedridden old man downstairs. Oh. <laughs> Those scenes where he's making Ingmar read the ladies' underwear catalogs to him, and he gets off on that. Later on, in a subtle callback, I'm sure if you guys are paying attention, you're obviously going to get it. Mm-hmm. But it must have flew past some people when Ingmar's living with Mrs. Arvidsson, and he's inherited the old man's bed after he's died. And you see Igmar looking under the mattress, and he's looking for any hidden catalogs that are left. Actually, I did catch that. I was like, oh, you tried. You tried, but it ain't gonna work. What a great callback. Someone already searched that bed, and (laughs) they weren't allowed to bring it up at the funeral. Max, what criticisms would you levy at this movie? The whole children thing was too accurate for me. It gave me PTSD. (laughs) It's like, I know that's what I'm gonna expect later on. God. I can already see it coming. <laughs> so, you know, 10 out of 10 for that. Great job, guys. <laughs> I don't think it affected me as much as Ingmar in the movie, but that aspect of the character, he's kind of a funny kid, but he's trying to be funny in moments he really shouldn't be. And the way kids can't self-regulate, and once they see you laughing at them doing something, they just keep freaking doing it. And I remember an aspect of that from my childhood. Andrew, what are your criticisms? My criticisms don't really come down to, like, the form. It's really just, like, give the poor kid a break. Because you'd have all these moments where it's just a bunch of fun stuff's happening for him. He's having a good time. And then the movie just pommels him for a good 15, 20 minutes. And then he's back to everything's hunky-dory. He's happy again. And, oh, no, it's more bad stuff. It gave you those fun breathers, but... When it snapped you back to reality, it was pretty harsh. To go along with that, it kept too often coming back to the to the sad reality. Like, even things would be going fine, and then they'd have those Starry Night voiceover moments where Ingemar just would bring up something depressing about the dog dying in space. It spent too much time trying to bring you back to sadness. It is a really sentimental movie. And I wonder if it would get too saccharine if Ingmar didn't bring us back down to Earth with his lovely narration. (laughs) (laughs) I think my favorite story out of all those is when he talks about the missionary that went to Africa and then got immediately clubbed to death. (laughs) Oh, jeez. And I think that's why they do it over that starry sky, is so you can imagine it while he's talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Like like deep thoughts, like, ah, deep, deep thoughts. (laughs) We don't have the budget for this, so let's just keep reusing this old footage and leave it up to the audience to do the work for us. Perfect! (laughs) Moving on to our second round of Rat. Do you guys have any random thoughts for me? How could that kid get, like, what, two or three different girlfriends? There's plenty of other boys everywhere else. Scene one, I'm going to cut my thumb, lick it, okay, now we're married. All right, sure, I can see that being like a thing kids do, but then she kept hanging out with him. It's like, oh, this isn't more than just like being friends, this is like you care about him, and well, that's cool, I guess. Going to the new town. Oh, the village tomboy has a thing for you. Damn. Only if we could all be so fortunate. What? (laughs) His response to every question a girl asked with him was just to stare at them creepily. It shows how deep he is. He's a deep-thinking man. (laughs) It reminds me, John, when we did Airheads, 
And they're talking about Adam Sandler's character and why he gets so much tail. Oh, yeah. It's that quiet cool. It just reels them in. Too dumb to say anything thoughtful so he doesn't speak. For me, I got a couple for you. So I saw this movie on Blu-ray Criterion. Through the magic of high res, there's a moment where Ingmar's blonde-headed girlfriend at the beginning, she has some dialogue and you can just see a mosquito land on her cheek. I noticed that too, yeah. I noticed something else though. Yeah? During that one scene where I think he was going back to his hometown, he was on the train. They were recording that from a helicopter. You can see the little helicopter leg like in the shot. I did not catch that. <laughs> I didn't catch that either. What is this? <laughs> According to Kurt Vonnegut, <laughs> Uh-oh. it's his and Stephen Wright, the comedian, it's both their favorite film. That seems like a Stephen Wright, dry humor, favorite movie type. <laughs> and having spent time in a small town environment, I felt Saga's little character trait where she was dressing like a boy, ostensibly to play on the boys' soccer team. I wasn't buying it, because I feel like if you're in a small town like that, it wasn't even like a real suburb or anything. People are going to know. You're not going to keep that a secret, even from other small towns in the area, I feel like. What do you think, John? Yeah, I completely agree. Everyone's going to have known her her whole life, and especially how they get about the game of soccer. No one over there is going to just ignore the fact that they know it's a girl so they can cheat to win. (laughs) Now my favorite round of the show is TLDL. Too long, didn't listen. It's a quick Q&A to wrap things up. I'm going to ask you guys a series of questions. I want short, one-word answers if possible. Here we go. John, which movie does a better job of hitting universal themes surrounding childhood? Oh, sir. Andrew, who's more interesting, Ingmar or Estrella? Ingmar. Going back to you, Andrew, if you're picking one for a foreign film night, which one? My Life as a Dog. John, which movie is more depressing? (laughs) Ooh, that's rough. Oh, sir. (laughs) Max, which film is more sentimental? Oh, God, uh, My Life as a Dog. John, which film is better for someone who has trouble with subtitles? I don't know. I want to say El Sur just because there's not enough going on on the screen. (laughs) Max, based on these scenarios, which is the best way to watch El Sur? On a date? With family? With friends? Or by yourself? Uh, with friends. John, is My Life as a Dog more of a comedy or a drama? I'm going to go comedy. This is going to be something for all three of you. One to five. Three meaning that the flick's worth watching once. I want you to rate both movies. El Sir, I'll give it a two. My Life as a Dog, I'd probably give it a, I don't know, I'm between a four and a five. Wow. I'm shocked that you liked it. Okay, okay. I'm going to give El Sur a three, just so people watch it. And then, yeah, I'm going four for My Life as a Dog. I think that's a fair rating. I, I'm going to copy John. All right. 